Lord Jesus, thank you for those words. Holy Spirit, thank you for meeting us right here where we are. Uh, thank you that our desire is not only to turn our eyes to you, but that you are the one who has turned your eyes to us as your people. Father, for those that are joining here in our service today, um, maybe some people who are pursuing faith, they have many questions, maybe some of us who've been Christians for a long time and we're still asking questions, still uh, exploring what your scriptures mean and who Jesus is. Would you, Holy Spirit, open up our eyes? Would you uh, illuminate our hearts? And would you breathe life into us today? May we experience you in a brand new way. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church family, I am so excited to be with you. In fact, we're going to dive right in quick to our sermon here today because here's what's happening. There's a part A and a part B uh, to the sermon today. The part A is I want to do some teaching from John chapter 12. We're continuing in this story uh, of Jesus as he's entering Jerusalem. Uh, John chapter 12, if you have your scriptures, uh, we're going to look at that. And the reason I want to dive in quickly is because the part B to the sermon is we're actually going to have a panel. I've got some friends that are going to be joining me. You'll recognize some of the faces. These are Northlanders. Uh, and I want them to share some stories of the way God is working in their lives around uh, a unique topic, a particular topic that we'll talk about in just a few minutes. So if you have your scriptures, turn to John chapter 12. Uh, it'll also be on the screen here. We'll, I'll kind of read and, and do some teaching along the way as I, as I typically do, but let's dive into the scriptures and see what we have to learn today. So this is what it says in John chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. So let's just get the scene. For me, when I read scripture, it, it's so helpful to kind of get the context of where we are. So the next day, if you think of your calendar starting on a Sunday all the way to the end of the week, we're actually entering into Holy Week. Uh, when it says the next day, this is actually taking place on a Sunday. Just five days from this story, Jesus will be crucified. That's how close we are uh, to, to that weekend that is so critical uh, in our faith. And so that's where we are in this story. There's a great festival taking place. It's Passover. Uh, some biblical scholars estimate that maybe as many as 2.7 million people would have been in Jerusalem. We don't know. We don't have those numbers. There wasn't a census then taken at that time. But what we know is there was a lot of people. Maybe you remember um, living here in Orlando. We often have big events that are hosted in our city. Or maybe you've gone to uh, an NBA final or a World Cup game or somewhere where all of a sudden um, it's not just our city that's gathering. It's the whole nation that has their eyes on what's happening. And people are pouring in from all over the place. So th the city is dense there's many, many people that are pouring into this space. And it says they took palm branches. Why palm branches? I used to think that was actually like a symbol of poverty, like there was nothing left for them to grab, so they just used palm branches. But in fact, what you find out from the scriptures is that during that time period, uh, 
palm branches were very symbolic. Uh, around Jerusalem, there was uh, what's called date palms. Uh, and these palm branches were used often as a symbol of power, as a symbol of, of victory, as a symbol of uh, something triumphant that is taking place. And so what's happening here, as you can see in this text already, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. People are waving these palm branches, but they're waving them because there is a nationalistic fervor that is, that is welling up among the people. They're believing that Jesus is coming to be the king of Israel. They've had many kings before. You've, you've heard the Old Testament story. Some of the kings were good, some of them not so good. They're believing that Jesus is coming to be their earthly king, and that's why they're waving these palm branches uh, in anticipation that that's what Jesus is bringing, what he's gonna do. The story goes on to say that Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. First of all, where does, where does that particular text come from? That's an Old Testament prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. You can look it up later. What's so incredible is if you look this up, also research it on your, on your own. It's amazing the number of prophecies. In fact, over 300 prophecies Jesus fulfilled from the Old Testament. He fulfilled all the prophecies. This is one of them, that he would be riding in on a young donkey. So this scripture is, is very critical because it's also an exclamation mark to the divinity of Jesus, that he was once again uh, fulfilling who he said he was. And we'll come back to the donkey in just a minute. Donkey's a very important part to this story. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Okay, so imagine the scene. I mean, there are hundreds of thousands, potentially millions of people just packed into this space. Some of the people that were on this scene in the, in the chapter just before this, John chapter 11, we read about Lazarus where Jesus literally raised this man from the dead. These people are among those that are in Jerusalem. They're talking, they're spreading the word of who Jesus is. There's a hype, there's an excitement, there's this anticipation. And even in the midst of that, the disciples really weren't quite sure uh, what was taking place. It was only in hindsight that they understood exactly what Jesus was fulfilling here. Let's go to this next piece. It says this, many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to, the, to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the world has gone after him. What an amazing ending to this piece of text that we're looking at today. The world is paying attention to who Jesus is. They're going after him because Jesus is the one who went after the world. Church, what I wanna look at here in this text a little bit is some of the details that might not be so noticeable at first glance. In fact, when I think about this story, one of the things that, that captures my imagination is something I heard a long time ago. And in fact, I, it was here at Northland that I first heard it. I don't remember who said it to me. Uh, maybe you've heard this statement before. It's, it's this statement that says, there are two types of people. There are those who come into a room and they say, here I am. 
And we know those kind of people. We've all been those kind of people from time to time. Maybe you're trying to impress a boss. You're, you're trying to impress a girlfriend, a boyfriend. You come in like you're all hyped up. Something goes terribly wrong. That's when, when we put all that focus on us. There's the type of person that comes into a space and says, here I am. But there's also the type of person that comes into a space and says, there you are. What's fascinating about this scripture is it's one on top of another, on top of another, on top of another. And in fact, in the coming weeks, we will continue to see this unimaginable picture of this Messiah, this Jesus, who every time he enters space, he says, there you are. If you think about the manger and Jesus coming uh, in, the, in the most simplest of fashion when he came to earth, he didn't come with all of this uh, crazy arrival. It was subtle. It was simple. It was a there you are moment for the world. If you think of the stories that we've studied in the scripture so far in the Gospel of John, all those interactions, Jesus always made it about who he was with. It's always a reflection of his character that he puts the emphasis, the God of the creation, the one who made the cosmos, who has all the power at his fingertips, all the power pulsing through his veins, the one who has every right to point to himself is always entering space and saying, there you are. And we see that again in this story. In fact, if you think about uh, the contrast between an earthly king and an eternal king. Think, think about this for a second. Jesus comes in on a donkey. This is not by accident. It's not because it's all that could be found. It not only fulfilled prophecy, but Jesus was making a statement here to the people. They wanted an earthly king, which if that were the case, Jesus would have rode in on a chariot, the most ornate, beautiful chariot pulled by the strongest of stallions. Instead, he comes in on a donkey. There's palm branches instead of, of soldiers lining up with armor and shields and, and confetti. There's a different picture of how Jesus enters in. Instead of coming in as an earthly king, as a warrior and as a conqueror, he comes in gentle and humble. In fact, the very symbolism of a donkey are, are those words, those synonyms. And an earthly king would come in and receive medals and honors. And Jesus instead comes and he's on a journey to hang on the cross because he's saying to the world, there you are. Church, when I think about this amazing miracle, this amazing picture of a God that would go to that extent to put the emphasis on who we are, I think about some of the great things that have happened even over the last couple months. You know some of the stories. Um, our church, uh, our, our family members, staff, and volunteers, and, and, and congregants, what an amazing picture we've experienced the last couple months of people who are living out this there you are type of mindset, this posture. Seniors who have graduated, um, what a rough time to graduate right now. And I've been watching and celebrating with with family members who are also graduating and all the ways that people are coming around this unique group of people who are experiencing graduation a little bit different and we don't want them to miss the significance of this moment. Access ministries, 
Um, you're aware of this amazing ministry. Those of us who are uh, in our community who are individuals with disabilities or family, member, family members of, of theirs, and just the way that continues to grow, the amazing leadership in that, in that team, uh, and the way they are turning around constantly rather than saying, here we are, it's a there you are mindset. Children's ministries, online worship and stuff that's coming out, daily devotionals. So many of our family members that have been speaking into our community the last couple months. Our tech staff, some who are behind the camera right here, every week supporting and holding up. Um, never in a here I am posture, but in a there you are, holding so many things together during this critical time. But church, what I really want to talk about today as as I turn a corner here is in as many ways as we have seen this, this posture of, of there you are, there's a way that we've also significantly missed uh, that as a church. And it has to do with our African-American family. No doubt you're aware, and I hope that you've had many conversations yourself with friends and, and family members and neighbors and coworkers uh, who are part of the black community, and you've begun to hear the stories and, and sense and feel the pain, the sorrow, the anguish, the lamenting, the hurt that our family members are experiencing right now. And I hope as you've done that, What's happened to you is what's happened to me. I find myself in anguish and in pain and in hurt and weeping with this part of our church family. This is a big deal for us. I know that right now in a, a hyper-politicized culture, um, this is one of those areas where it's often looked at as, as something that's a political issue. This is a human issue, what we're facing uh, with racism, not just in our country, but in our world. And what I want to say to you today, church, is we have an opportunity to stand with our brothers and sisters in a unique way during this time. The church has so much to learn. We have so much to grow in. Um, the world around us, if you stop and think about it, from what you've been watching on social media to, to the news or in the community, um, the world is experiencing the gospel right around us. They don't even know it. They don't even know that they're getting a taste of Jesus. But you see repentance taking place, people making a 180 and uh, how they once viewed people of color to realizing there's a lot of work that has to take place in here first. Um, people that are, are experiencing brokenness and, and experiencing healing. They're not even part of the church family, but they're getting a taste of the gospel. And church, what I want to say to you, what's so critical right now is we do not want to be left behind. We do not want the culture to be setting the pace. In fact, uh, the place where, where leadership should emerge, where salt and light should emerge the strongest is within the church body. And so what we're going to do right now is I'm going to introduce to you some of my friends who I've been in a conversation, multiple conversations and in prayer with this week. Um, some of them, we've been in a conversation on a journey um, discussing the issues of racism for the last six months. Um, many tears have been shed this week, a lot of difficult stories. And what I want you to know as we enter this time, I'm going to introduce you to them. And we're not going to talk about past presidents or current presidents or future presidents. This is, not, this is not what we're going to be doing today. What I want us to do is hear some stories from part of our church family 
that are experiencing some very difficult things right now and begin to put ourselves in their shoes. It's just a step, just an invitation for us to be on this journey together. It's one step of many that we need to take in the coming weeks and months. So right now, will you join me as I introduce uh, my friends to you? So church family, I wanna introduce you to some of my friends who have graciously joined me today for this panel. As I mentioned uh, in the sermon text, uh, Jesus was the master at entering every space with this posture of there you are. And today we wanna hear some stories. We wanna listen together and hear from some of our church family. I've asked my friends here to share some of their personal experiences around the topic of racism. and. These are not easy stories for them to tell. We've talked a lot about that this week as a group, and, um, but they're important and we need to pay attention to these stories. It's a part of the fabric of our community and our church body. And so I wanna quickly introduce the panel. Um, you probably recognize some of them, but let me quickly tell you who they are and they can wave at you um, just in case you don't know who they are. But Jamila, uh, has attended Northland since 2004. She's the Director of Youth Outreach and Community Engagement here at Northland. She was born and raised in New Jersey, which we'll try and not hold against you, Jay. Um, Vince is the Vice Chairman of our Governing Elder Board here at Northland. He and his wife, Charlene, have been involved, uh, very involved in a lot of different ministries, but since 2013, serving um, primarily in the area of marriage ministry. A lot of you have done that with them. Uh, Chris is the area director for Young Life here in Seminole County. He and his wife, Ann, met at Northland in 1994, back when Chris still had hair. Sorry, Chris. Um, uh, Chris also serves as one of our shepherding elders. Um, Gabriella, you can call her Gabby, has been interning at Northland over the last six to seven months. Uh, she'll be graduating with her master's in social work, and she's part of a group called USA Unites, a group that meets weekly to discuss the issues of racism and how, uh, how do we engage the next generation on this topic. Uh, Lori has been at Northland for nine months, which is awesome. Uh, she's a board member of uh, the True North Foundation. She's a Mississippi girl, so um, down here from, from the south. And she's married to our worship pastor, Pastor Marsh. Um, Joe has been at Northland for the last three or four years, uh, works with the security team. Uh, he's also part of our uh, elder, shepherding elder community, as well as part of the USA Unites group. Uh, and then finally, Anne uh, started attending when she was a senior in high school, um, just, a few years, just a few years ago, right, Anne? Not that long ago. Um, she's an accountant and she's been on some of our short-term missions trips. Uh, so this is an awesome group. I'm so privileged to be joined with them right now. And uh, we've met a couple times this week to talk and listen and pray together. We were talking last night. In fact, um, there's a lot of laughter. Um, there's been some tears. Um, and I, and I've, I've sensed a lot of hope from this group as well. And so Vince, I want to start with you, which we've talked about this as a group. It's, it's a bit dangerous because you're also a preacher. Um, but I've told everyone that this panel, um, you know, is all we're doing here is just starting a conversation. Um, for some of us, this is a, a first step on this journey. Um, 
you're going to hear some of our church family in this panel who've been on this journey a very long time. Um, wherever we are in this conversation, uh, as I mentioned in the sermon, this isn't political. This is a human gospel topic that we want to engage in. And so uh, we're just having some honest conversations and sharing some stories as followers of Jesus. And so Vince, my man, would you get us started? Yes, and thank you for letting everybody know that I am a preacher. And uh, 30 minutes, I'll take all of that. You can just get the rest <laughs> of the people off of the picture right now, and we will move forward, as thus says the Lord. No, <laughs> no. Hey, hello, everybody. Listen, I want to give you a story, and I'm not going to take more than my share of time. Imagine a 17-year-old kid walking home from football practice who lives on the same street as a police station. As he walks by the police station trying to get to his home, which is seven houses away, he hears the sound and he turns around to see a double barrel shotgun pointed at his head and a pistol pointed at his stomach. How would that make you feel when you're just walking home from football practice? It happened. It happened to me. And I quickly had to help those people ascertain that I was not the suspect that they were looking for. And if they continued to have those guns pointed on me, they would miss him as he ran across the street. What we're dealing with is real. Now, everybody doesn't agree to the level of it being real. But let me ask you this question. If you are irritated and annoyed by what has been taking place in the last two weeks, how irritated and annoyed will, would you be considering this had been going on for 400 years? It's interesting, isn't it? You know, when we see something that is going wrong, we are bound as being Christians to help right those wrongs. We can't pass it on to someone else. We can't expect someone else to pick up the mantle and run with it when it is a mantle that has been given to us. And this is the time. I recommend everybody read Numbers, the 12th chapter. I'm doing a, a series of messages on that even right now. Um, and we can talk about that more when we uh, get into more depth. But James 4, 17 says this very simply. It says, if anyone then knows to do good and does not do good, to him it is sin. And I don't think we at Northland want to be guilty of participating in sin. So with that, I'm going to pass it on to one of these other brilliant people who are involved with this conversation at this time. Thanks for listening to me, and I look forward to a more in-depth conversation at a later date and time. Yeah, you can count on that. Thank you, Vince, for sharing. Just I know it's a, a fraction of the depth of your story. Um, and for me, I actually, I wish that I only had one example of experiencing racism in this country. I wish that there was only one example and it would be the extreme example of being on a Zoom call 
and then it being um, hacked and seeing swastikas and hearing the N-word repeated over and over among other hurtful words and images. Um, I actually, I wish that was the only example of racism in my life. Um, I wish that most of my adulthood examples of racism didn't happen in the church that I work and worship at. I honestly, I'm uncomfortable even sharing that I'm the only full-time black female on staff at Northland Church. I'm uncomfortable sharing that some of the most hurtful comments about my hair in particular came from white congregants that I love and adore. Or not being able to distinguish my features, I'm seen as related to the most popular black worshipers or the only other black male on staff. So at times I found that the ignorance was funny, but mostly it's hurtful because it's covert and it's unseen and un unacknowledged like me. I feel like I know the freedom of being in Christ. I can feel that, I know that, but I'm not free here in this country or in this church. And so even now, after sharing all of that, I feel like I should apologize. That's where I'm at. It's hard to hear, Jamila, but it goes right along with um, some of my experience. Um, I grew up uh, thinking that I, I probably had some prejudice, just like everybody else, um, but I definitely wouldn't have thought of myself as being racist. Uh, graduated high school, went in the Navy, where I served alongside people of all different um, races and nationalities with no problem whatsoever. And, and then uh, began doing ministry after I got out of the Navy and, um, and did that as well, never thinking about, never thinking about race, so I thought. Um, and, and then the ministry that I'm involved with, Young Life, had us go to some cultural intelligence training a couple of years ago. And I sat there and I listened to my brothers and sisters of color um, do what Vince and Jamila have just done of sharing stories. And um, it just opened my eyes to the fact that even though I wasn't thinking about it, that was because I didn't have to think about it. Um, but here were brothers and sisters of mine who were hurting and I was not connected to those stories because I wasn't connected relationally to them. Um, when all of this started happening last week, in the last couple of weeks, uh, we got on a Zoom call with all of the staff and I sat last Friday and listened to over 20 uh, brothers and sisters of color share their stories. And there were two things that stood out to me. Um, one of them was that every single story, even though they were all different, they all had this common thread that ran, ran through them. And that was that they all felt less than in a dominant culture um, and always felt like they had to try to be somebody different um, in order to be accepted. Uh, and that ran across the board. But the thing that, that was really the most hurtful um, or the most painful to listen to was that the majority of the hurt and pain that they'd experienced had been in the ministry. Um, just like Jamila shared, it had been, it had been among the body of the body of Christ. Um, and that was extremely difficult to hear. Yes. Yes. So much of what Chris said really resonates for me, um, especially that feeling less than, 
um, my experience as a Black woman in America is a chronic feeling of inferiority. Um, no one says that they perceive you as inferior. Oftentimes you're reading between the lines. What do people expect from you? Um, as a child of my first family, my parents, my siblings, my cousins, my family made me feel loved and my blackness was just a part of who I am. But in the fourth grade, I'd started to have my first experiences with the perception of being inferior. Um, it started with what kids would say about my hair and my complexion. Um, it continued with who I could be friends with. There was a boy on my block who I had a crush on and we used to climb trees together and just have fun. And I told some of the girls in my class, I have a crush on him. And they told me, you can't like him. You have to like him. And I said, who? And they pointed across the playground at the only other black kid in the fourth grade. I didn't even know his name. It continued throughout that year. Uh, a child in my class and I got into a verbal spat and she won because she called me the N-word. And then the teacher sent me to the principal's office alone. The other girl didn't even get in trouble. So throughout that year, I just absorbed a lot of this hurt and pain. Um, towards the end of the year, we were going to have a school play, and we were practicing that classic patriotic song, I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. And I could tell, based on everything that had happened through the year, based on what happened in that class with my fellow students, with the students' parents, even to be honest with that music teacher, I was not perceived to really be an American, and I definitely was not someone who should be proud of who I was. So that was that year. And as an adult, it shows up in different ways. The idea that I am Black and therefore should fit someone's prototype. I don't know what the prototype is based off of, but it's not reality. The music I listen to, the movies I watch, who I should be, what I'm capable of, it's just limited. And I think about Christ's exhortation that people will know you are my disciples based on how you love one another. And I want to experience that in America and frankly in this church, because that's not always my experience, even within the body of Christ that sense of just safety, acceptance, and love. Mm. Mm. Thanks for that, Anne. Um, my story sadly validates everything you just said. Um, I grew up in the Deep South and learned racial stereotypes right alongside the words to Amazing Grace. Um, I'd call myself a recovering racist. My first memory of making a derogatory racial comment was I think in about the first grade. Um, I remember maybe a few years later feeling really uncomfortable when my sister told me she had a black friend and there were plenty of birthday parties and graduation parties where only white classmates were invited. Um, 
notice my voice is shaking. I think we need to especially talk about things that make our voices shake. So I'm glad you're here with me. Um, I heard from a church member that God didn't want white people and black people to marry, that it wasn't good for us to mix. Apparently it wasn't uh, to echo your words and your experience, good for us to worship together either, because that wasn't my experience. Um, healing really, even though I become a believer, uh, when I was fairly young, I'd say healing um, and waking up to kingdom of diversity in the kingdom of God uh, began in college. And when I say healing, I also mean just the safety, finding that safe space to um, come clean, confession and repentance uh, through scripture and through relationships. Um, and I say began because I think it's lifelong work for all of us. There were obviously some problems with my view of God that supported my prejudice, but even after scripture started to change my mind about God's kingdom culture, I still had a lot of stereotypes hiding out inside. So the practice of community became the, like the proving ground for God's work in my heart. And it was through friendships, not acquaintances or work relationships or, um, you know, a church friend, somebody I sit beside just on Sundays, but the real, uh, let's get our families together for dinner. Let's, let's care for each other's kids. Who are you? Tell me more. Real friendship. Also, friendships where I wasn't in charge, where we were truly peers or where I was under the authority of a person of color turned out to be really important in my journey. Um, I think bottom line, it just to, seeing the image of God in each other requires closeness. So one quick story, I'm going to pass this on to a, um, to a sister, um, Gabriella, but Sila is our youngest daughter. She's three years old and she surprised us this week with a new little game. And I think her timing is pretty uncanny. Um, she stood on one side of the room and she just yells, uh, mom, you're so far away. And then she uh, breaks into this smile and just tears off, you know, tears out across the room running and jumps into my arms and we celebrate. Uh, yay, you're here. There you are. And so often I think, whoa, that's too risky. When we're talking about hard subjects like this, um, I can't run to them. I can't run to the other. Um, I'm afraid of exposure, afraid of shame. Um, but it's at those really vulnerable points of intersection, like what's happening right here when I've been really surprised by grace. So let's keep this thing going. And um, Gabby, I've been thinking a little about your story today, too. Will you jump in and share here? Um, thank you, Lori, for, um, you know, wanting me to share my story. I think as a mother, it probably really resonates with you. Um, so um, I just want you guys to come back with me. I'm five years old, Gabby, and I was feeling like a superstar because I was on an airplane to go surprise my brother 
from um, graduating for our Air Force boot camp. Um, you see, I haven't been back to the United States since my whole family moved overseas um, due to my dad working for the United States Embassy. So you can imagine, I was just a ball of excitement. Um, so when we got there, my mother and I decided to go exploring the big, beautiful Lone Star State. So whoever's been to Texas would know. <laughs> Um, so when we were walking around, um, I see this huge parade coming by and I'm like, I'm in a Hollywood movie, you know, I'm like, United States is so awesome. And, um, totally the air changed. And my once, my mother who's vivacious, fearless, very charismatic, um, yelled at me and told me to put my head down and she grabbed me. Um, I didn't know what my mama was feeling or what was going through her mind, but all I knew as a five years old is that I felt it. The one thing my mom couldn't do was cover my ears. And the things I heard were like, go back to your country. And I just remember the flood of this language that was new to me and they all became new words that my mother had to teach me. And as I looked at these people, their costumes didn't look like the costumes my family wore. They didn't say the things that my family stood for. Um, and I would be lying to you, like when my mom had that talk to me at the age of five, telling me that these people don't like me and they don't want me here. Um, at the age of 32, I still get the lump in my throat when I see white supremacists like that day. And I'm just hoping that five results in the future are not gonna have to fear that, but just the monsters that are under their bed and in their closet. You know, I'm sure that, you know, we all have stories like this, and I know Joe has shared his story, and um, I would love for you to share yours with the group. Yes, uh, Gabrielle, I know that's always a tough story, you know, you telling it, and to understand that, yes, I grew up with that type of fear also, and, and I grew up you know, in the Washington, D.C., Maryland area, and my parents worked. Uh, my dad had two jobs and my mom worked. So we grew up later on in life where I would say if there was a label back then, we grew up close to middle class. But they worked a lot. So I felt obligated. I stayed focused. I was the one that stayed out of trouble. I was the one that was just, I'm going to do this right for them. But... The one thing that I had was the talk. And the talk you would have with, you know, most parents with their kids of, if you have pullover, if you're confronted by the police or the uh, authority figures, you, you know, you be respectful, you answer the questions. But mine and which also my friends and connections later of those of, of color, of blacks, families, it was a little bit more, it was, you shut up. 
you keep your hands where they can see them. There's no sudden movements. And the piece that I remember having that talk and which was a common thing was, you get home alive. Do what you gotta do to get home alive. That's, you know, like was real. Um, and I, you know, like I said, I've had my conflicts of just being basically what they would say in the wrong place at the wrong time. But it was in my neighborhood, being there with my friends, just standing and talking. So I've had those conflicts of just, you know, having a gun to my head by a police officer just because I am standing there where they didn't want me. And it was like growing up without a voice. That's the big thing. It was like, I couldn't speak up because who would believe a young black male? But it's encouraging now to see this. It's encouraging this, like uh, Vince said, this is the time we need to have discussion. And we've had tried to have discussion before, but what for whatever reason God has put on this platform, that it is time to have discussion. It is time to have listening. It's time to have understanding. It's time to try to comprehend what is there, what's going on, so we all can heal and grow and move forward. But we've got to have this discussion and we've got to have the uncomfortable discussion. And it's so encouraging to me is that it's the church, not the building, but the people, the church. Because I've been reached out to, people have reached out to me so many, you know, so many new people, different people. I mean, I've had somebody just call me and say, I just felt like I had to, to talk to you, just to check on you, which is the encouraging thing. Because the church years ago used to lead in issues used to lead when there were problems. I mean, we talk about the civil rights movement where something massive was done during that short period of time, and it wasn't a religious movement or a Christian movement, but guess who led it? The church. It's time for the church to lead, because you know what? The church was able to understanding truth and love not one or the other, because that's what Jesus provide, truth and love. And the uncomfortable truth is there's a core problem in the United States and understanding and just admitting that that's what the problem is. Because something I've shared before is that in the story of the Good Samaritan at Jesus, he selected who he wanted to select on those things. Are we going to ignore it like the priest and the Levite? Or is it going to be the Samaritan who hates and conflicted with Jews to do the extra thing to help? I know if I was laying on the side of the road, I would want somebody to help me. And I would I know that you would want to be helped. So we can't ignore it. We've got to help. And so I am encouraged and I am encouraging those, the church, the people to lead in this, to look to be the leaders. I mean, I say, why not the church? Why not you as being the church? Jamila, one of the things you helped me with months ago was when I shared with you um, just the, the sense of um, anxiety that I even feel personally talking about this stuff because I'm afraid I'm gonna say something politically incorrect. I'm going to embarrass myself. I'm going to make myself look like a fool, which I hate. I mean, I do that enough already. And so I don't want to pile on more reasons. 
Um, and some of what you helped shape and speak into my life was we have to start talking and we, we have to start learning how, how to communicate together. And we've got to start asking questions and exploring this hard topic together. And you have been a great person among the USA Unites team um, as well to allow people to start wherever they are on this journey. And I think even church, as we're all coming and you're listening from many, many different parts um, and, and stories, the invitation here, Jay, is, is for us to join together. Would you just share, like you have so many times for me in my life, would you give us um, a concluding uh, thought or two around what does it look like for us to move together now as a church family? Yeah. So first of all, thank you all, every human on this, on this call for being vulnerable, for being honest, for being authentic and sharing even just like a sample of your experiences like that, I think in and of itself is a first step is that, is that being open, being honest, being willing to put your ego and your pride aside and, and share in this. Um, so I invite you all to continue. I invite our church, um, the body of Christ to continue to move. So wherever you are, whether you feel stuck, you feel indifferent, um, you feel like you're ready to do something, you're ready to fight, whatever the case is, um, wherever you are, I just ask that you would just continue to, to dialogue, continue to seek um, people who don't look like you, people who do look like you. Uh, we all need to continue this, this discussion. Um, a lot of, I've shared this before, a lot of our, some of our big work is going to be sitting in the the messiness of it, the, the uncomfort, um, the unrest of, of recognizing our own biases, our own racism, our own toxicity. Um, and also, you know, giving that, giving it to God too, right? Like not just trying to do this all by yourself. So check in with yourself. Um, I believe it took us a while to get here. It's going to take us a while to get out of here, um, but we have to walk through it. And I ask that we walk together. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that, Jay. Well, church family, we're going to wrap up and I'm going to surprise Lori. Sorry, Lori, but I'm going to ask if you would pray for us um, in cl closing. Thank you so much, panel, for not just this conversation, but the others before it and the others that are coming. Uh, church family, we're going to do this more. Um, we were talking before we even uh, started the panel today that um, we need to create some forums for some dialogue, some questions and answers. And so that will be coming and we'll let you know uh, how you can participate in that as well. But Lori, would you close our time in prayer, please? God, we're grateful for the power of the gospel to save. So grateful that you are good and that you love us and you come after us. So grateful for your vision for kingdom, your counter-cultural kingdom that is so beautiful. And I'm thinking about um, these verses in John 12, um, 17 to 19, where there are two groups of people there. Uh, one is a crowd that's come to see Jesus because they heard he, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And the other is a group of... Um, 
religious leaders, the Pharisees who are scared that, <laughs> that Rome will come and take away their temple and their nation. They're scared that their way of life will be disrupted. And I pray that this community, that this Northland church and your church at large, that we would be people who um, are hungry for resurrection and what, ready to submit um, our status quo, our, our way of life to you, not afraid, but trusting, trusting in your goodness and wanting to live into the reality that we belong to each other and that you are our good, good father. God, thanks for this time. We need you. Help us, Lord, and for your name's sake, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, panel, will you wave goodbye as we jump off of our discussion here and go, and uh, I'll close in our benediction. Well, church family, we've heard a lot today, and I wanna bring us back to where we started that this Jesus that we follow, this Jesus who was uh, transforming and revolutionizing the first century church is the same Jesus that's doing it today in our lives in the 21st century. He's a God who comes to us where we are. That's what we wanna be about as a church. I was thinking about, uh, as we close our service, this incredible picture that comes from Revelation where in fact, palm branches are used again. You're probably familiar with this text. It says this, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. One of the most fascinating thoughts that have, that's been in my head all week in, in preparation for this, this sermon this weekend is, I'm sure you've imagined the day when Jesus comes back, what we refer to as the second coming. Um, and in my mind's eye, I guess I've always imagined that as being this, this epic moment, this double encore that all of creation's gonna experience, where, where really it's gonna be the quintessential here I am moment. And yet, as we know from the scriptures, when Jesus comes back, what's so amazing about who he is is in fact, when he arrives on the scene and returns to us, it's all, all gonna be, there you are. It's a there you are moment. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we follow. And so I wanna leave you with that as we go into this week. Let's keep our eyes open. Um, our temptation every time is to walk into space and to conversations and, and reply and click on social media and, and make it these here I am moments. Let's be the church that enters every space. It's what I've loved about Northland since the very first day back in the early 90s that I started coming here. This has always been a church that is not afraid to tackle the hard issues, not afraid to get into the hard conversations, a people that's determined to follow Jesus, be salt and light, stand together, let's do that this week. 
We love you, church. We're so grateful to be together during this time. I'm going to hand it off now uh, to Pastor Nathan and, and to Barb, and they're going to give a couple announcements that are important for the coming days. We'll see you next week.